Welcome to the LTC University Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston. I'm your host, and I'm super excited. We have Dr. Casey McMillan, um, and we're excited to have you on the podcast. You're you're newer with SC House Calls, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, how you got into healthcare, and, and kind of give us your bio of what you've done. Sure. Um, well, I grew up outside of Atlanta and, uh, you know, pretty normal childhood, went to college, knew I wanted to, pretty soon after I got to college, I made the decision that I wanted to go into medicine, went to medical school uh, in Augusta, the Medical College of Georgia. And then uh, the Lord led me to Columbia, South Carolina. When I matched, I actually matched in a special type of residency program called Internal Medicine Pediatrics, where basically it's like doing a double major in college, uh, sure. where I did two uh simultaneous residencies at once wow. uh, so it was a little bit longer and a little bit more intense but i got two specialties out of it and so uh, when i got out i got i took the boards and was certified both in pediatrics and internal medicine because uh, i really wanted to do both and in fact at one point i thought i was going to end up doing uh, long-term overseas medical missions and i thought that was mm. going to be really useful to be broad and have a lot of knowledge in a lot of different areas and be able to help out a lot sure uh, the lord closed that door um but um i ended up um, deciding that I really loved hospital medicine primarily. Um, I never thought I was going to like that. I always hated hospitals when I was young. I thought I'd be in a clinic somewhere and just right. doing kind of outpatient care. Um, but then I got into a, a hospital as a medical student, just realized I really, really enjoy this. And especially as a resident, I mean, as a resident, mm -hmm. that that's really where I came alive is taking care of really sick, really acutely ill people. I really liked critical care. I, I liked um, people that just really were at their the bottom and yeah. uh, that I could reach down and, and hopefully try to pull them up out of um, a real dark and, and dangerous place. Um, and so that's what I really loved. And I practiced full-time hospital medicine for about 14 years. Wow. Um, I did pediatrics just for the first few years. Eventually, I realized that I wasn't really all that good at it and uh, <laughs> decided that I, knew I was a lot better with old people and decided that uh, that's where I'd be. So for the last 10 years, I've only been doing adult medicine. Um, and then, uh, as you know, the last few years, I've helped out a little bit uh, supervising nurse practitioners with house calls uh, and then just joined y'all kind of on a more regular basis uh, recently doing home health, nice. uh, which is kind of the opposite of what I've done uh, with my you know acute care for so yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk about how that ties in, though. Um, and specifically today, um, we're going to talk about diabetes and, 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 and then even drill down further than that and talk about, you know, rehospitalizations, you know, how that affects people and, and, you know, cause diabetes, I mean, we're living through an epidemic. I mean, when it comes to diabetes, just a, a little background, we, we talked a little bit about this on the podcast before we started recording, I actually had diabetes, um, uh, and I've talked about this on here before, uh, you know, I've had diabetes, um, you know, it's terrible. It's, I, I had to take insulin at one point, you know, I was taking a couple shots a day, um, of Levomir and, and just, it's terrible sticking your finger. It's just not a fun disease to have. Long story short, had a gastric bypass. I no longer have diabetes. My last A1C I think was 5.2. Um, and I've also had an A1C that was off the charts, literally off the charts and it didn't read. It was so high, um, at one point. So I know how this disease can affect you. My whole family has diabetes. 
it's it's just no fun and it can wind you up right in the hospital if you're not careful um losing a limb losing you know lot uh, your life and it's it's just such an epidemic so we're going to kind of dive into that and 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 with your expertise and and talk all about diabetes and and hospitals and and how we keep people out of the hospital with diabetes so let's jump right in absolutely yeah well, I mean, you touched on a lot of uh, important stuff here, which will will nail down some of these things as far as complications and hospitalizations and mm-hmm. the personal impact and whether it can be recovered from. Um, we'll talk a little bit about diabetes itself and the mm-hmm. difference between the types of diabetes and sure. type one, type two, and what people mean when they say different things. It, it definitely matters. And, and this is huge because just like you said, it's extremely common. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, millions and millions of millions of Americans have it. Um, and it is a such a driver of poor health by itself. It's, it's associated with mm-hmm. comorbidities. It causes other things and other things can lead to diabetes Um, and there's there's so much that goes into that the hospital in particular it matters a lot because it increases the complexity of the hospitalization people stay in the hospital longer they have more other bad things happen to them you know most people who have diabetes in the hospital they're not there because of the diabetes specifically and directly it's not mm-hmm. like oh my sugar was a thousand and therefore i'm having to be admitted for intensive insulin therapy in the intensive care unit and that sort of thing much more common is somebody who's there for some other thing whether that's a stroke or a heart attack or pneumonia um and they happen to have diabetes as well but mm-hmm. it definitely matters um it affects how we handle things in the hospital it affects how you recover from it uh it makes a big difference financially on patients individually oh, and, and yeah. what they have to pay um the cost of insulin are outrageous it's become a major political it is. issue um it, and it's of course it's huge to the healthcare system as a whole i mean the things that are associated with diabetes cost the taxpayers of this country billions of dollars every yeah. year and we have the opportunity to impact that in a in a mm-hmm. great way um we also know that hospitalizations are so expensive, and if we can prevent people from going to the hospital, then we're all going to be better off. The patients are going to be better off. We as caregivers are going to be better off. The taxpayers and the Medicare are going to be better off. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the opportunity to impact that, and I, and I hope that by us talking today, we can encourage other people a little sure. bit and educate people a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember you know speaking about the cost. You know, it was uh, a few years ago. You know, I might you know I a new newer insurance and and I I went to Publix to pick up my insulin uh, after I was on this newer insurance and they said that's going to be $500. <laughs> um and I was like uh yeah I can't do that. Now and, and that happens to people and they say yeah I'm not buying that. And they right. don't take their insulin and it is a huge problem. Now I'm fortunate, you know, I was able to figure out a solution. I actually went through SC HomeRx our own pharmacy. So a big shout out to them. Um, the, the problem is they, the, you know, Publix pharmacy wouldn't separate the pens that I needed. And so you had to buy five pens at a time. So that's why it was so expensive. You know, SC Homer X helped me out and separated the pens and gave them to me at $20 versus $500. So, um, yeah, it, it really helped me out a lot. And so, but the cost is real and it affects real people and so many people aren't taking the medications they're supposed to and it's making things worse. Right. 
and we can talk some about lifestyle changes and the, mm-hmm. the way that you were affected with sure. weight loss and how, I mean, it, if you need less medication because you're doing everything else right, then maybe you're going to save a lot of money. That's mm-hmm. easier said than done, but it, it can happen. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, diabetes in general, give us the different types and, and just let's, let's get, let's just jump in the deep end here about diabetes and, and, and kind of, yeah, what it's about. Well, sure. Uh, now it, it, you say jump in the deep end. We, we, there is, this is one of the things, um, where you can stay, keep it real simple and you can go way more complex and deep than even I'm able to do. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the pool is shallow enough for a child to wade in one end and it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in the other end. Um, we're going to try foot. to stay somewhere in the middle. Let's keep, yeah, yeah. let's stay in the middle. Um, my head needs to be above water. Okay. So, <laughs> right. So, uh, diabetes classically referred to in the past, it would be insulin dependent and non-insulin dependent. And that was another way of saying what we generally refer to now as type one versus type two. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a misnomer, and it definitely does not hold, uh, particularly in this day and age. But type 1 classically was the one where your body's immune system attacks the pancreas and keeps the pancreas from being able to um, create insulin. Classically, onset in childhood. Um, it's, it's the standard one that you heard about. For, you know, a couple hundred years, it was the one where people were diagnosed by literally tasting urine and, oh, it's, it's sweet, therefore you got diabetes. Um, and, and that's literally what the word diabetes mellitus means. Mellitus means sweet. Uh, and that's how they did it, by tasting the urine. Um, sorry, I hope that is that's, not going to turn off any one of, of your listeners. Listen, it's the truth. And so <laughs> even though it's disgusting, go ahead. Yeah. But type 2 is the is what we're generally referring to when we talk about diabetes today. And for the purposes of our podcast, I'm talking about type 2 from this point forward unless I specify. Because that's 95% of what we got in America now. That's the one that's the true epidemic. That's the one that's associated so much with unhealthy lifestyle and, mm-hmm. and excess weight, etc. So diabetes type 2 is what we're talking about for the purposes of this time. Uh, I don't want to ignore type 1. It's real. It's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's going to be a little bit beyond the scope of most of what we talk about um, in general. Now, that's where insulin and, and by mouth therapies come into play or other injectables. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, the only treatment was insulin, which had to be derived from, uh, I, I think it was maybe horses or, or cows. Uh, originally, they sent, you know, they got it from the pancreas, et cetera. It was life-saving when it came around, and I think it was like the 1920s or 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, but now there's a lot better stuff out there, and there's oral treatments, which sure. have, have really been a game-changer. There's been a lot of research into those in recent years, um, and they've and, and also some newer injectables that are not insulins. And these have changed the game, and, and they've not just for diabetes, but also for some other conditions, uh, congestive heart failure, medications that were direct con- to developed for diabetes – have been shown to be good for heart failure, weight uh, loss. There's a, a lot of people now that are using s- some diabetes drugs specifically for weight loss, even if they've never been diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah. So um, medications are a big deal. Yes, lifestyle modifications, dietary modifications, those are super important, and I don't want to minimize those at all. Um, and that's that when we're going to talk about you know potential cure, that's really where it comes about. Mm-hmm. Medications are more about managing and about keeping the sugars in a, to a place where they don't cause 
other complications, which we're going to get to probably at some point. Yeah. So, so, so uh, there, there, that's a starting point. The, yeah, that's great. I love that. So, you know, the big question, you know, and I think this has been debated and continues to be debated. Is it curable? Well, in a word, yes. Um, I don't know that curable is really the best phrase to use for it. Mm, yeah. Um, but, but I think you use that phrase, and, and mm-hmm. it's and it's accurate in the sense of, of at this point in your life, you don't have to take medication. Mm-hmm. You're not having to eat a very specific strict diet for diabetes by itself, mm-hmm. and so it's it's no longer affecting you. It's no longer affecting your chances of having long-term complications. Sure. So yes, in that sense, it is curable, and and that's to be a goal for most people. Mm-hmm. But it's also an unreachable goal for most people. For most people, mm-hmm. we know it's never going to happen where they're completely off medications, where they're completely get to treat it as if it's no longer there. For 90-some plus percent of patients, it's you're the exception to the rule, and I'm sure. glad for you that you're the exception to the rule, but yeah. we, we don't assume that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, and that was through having a surgery, literally. <laughs> so, yes. That, and, and that's not the case for everybody. I know when I went through the process of, of having the, the gastric bypass, they said, you know, some people it goes away, some people it doesn't. It's, it's about 50 50 a lot of times. So, you know, thank God I was fortunate that it, you know, I do my A1Cs in, in check. So, yeah, thank goodness. Right. Well, and so you bring up A1C, and, and for your listeners that might not know what A1C means, um, it refers to what we call glycosylated hemoglobin. Basically, when your body and your bloodstream is swimming in extra sugar over time, that sugar likes to attach itself to the hemoglobin molecules, which is um, what is carried by the red blood cells, carries oxygen into the body, and um, you know basically lets us live. So it is a marker, a, a way to, that we can tell what a person's average sugars have been over time because literally it's a it's a very, I guess, mathematical scientific phenomenon. If the sugars mm-hmm. are high, X amount of the red blood cells will have this extra sugar attached to them. And mm-hmm. it'll be a percentage, something like 5% of your red blood cells have this extra sugar attached to it. If you're in really good control or you don't have diabetes, but then some people, if you're really bad control of your diabetes, you might have 12% of your hemoglobins have that extra sugar on them. And so we can easily test with a blood test. Usually we do it every two or three months. And it's a great way we can tell with just at one snapshot, have your sugars been doing good? Have your sugars not been doing good? It's a very excellent tool that we can use, and it's uh, highly encouraged by uh, insurance companies so that we can um, you know, know what's going on. It's not a replacement for finger stick sugars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a way – it's not saying, oh, well, you never have to check your sugars again and pick prick your fingers. Um, but it is, it is useful for us as providers. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Uh, you, and, and, and I'll go, I'll expand from there. And the reason is because long-term high sugars sure. is what leads to complications. Um, there's been some debate in the literature on the different types of complications. And, and if you improve this, does this get better? But generally speaking, the complications we worry about are short-term and long-term. Short-term is things like my sugar's so high, I'm about to die and I have to go to the hospital and mm-hmm. get in the ICU. 
That's the short-term problem. There's other short-term problems as well. I'm peeing a lot and I'm di- and I'm mm-hmm. getting dehydrated because the sugar concentrates in the kidneys and then mm-hmm. extra water follows it through osmosis. Um, and there's some other stuff, uh, you know, uh, hunger or headaches or passing out whether it's high or low. So those are like the short-term complications of diabetes. But we're mostly concerned as providers for how do we prevent things down the road? How do we keep things from being bad 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Because it's cumulative. The higher your sugar is, it is toxic to every other tissue in your body, Mm. whether that's your nerves, whether that's your blood vessels. Um, If you want to have good circulation and keep your feet, you got to keep your sugars under control. It's yeah. not going to happen today or tomorrow. It's going to happen 10 years from now. It's going to happen 20 years from now. If you want to stay off dialysis 10 years from now, you better get your sugars under control now. Sure. If you want to have not have erectile dysfunction 10 mm-hmm. years from now, you better get it under control now. And that's just a little bit. Of course, your heart attacks and strokes and that sort of thing go way up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, those are common even people who are not diabetic, but we surely want to decrease the risk by controlling what we can control. Sure. I, I tell you, one, one of the biggest changes, you know, when, when my, you know, everything was under in check after surgery and, and things went back to normal for me, I didn't have to get up in the middle of the night and go pee. And, and I sleep better, you know, and, and I still, I sleep all the way through the night. I don't have to, before, two or three times I was getting up and, and going to the restroom and it's, it's no fun. It's, it's, it's just tough. So, Dr. McMillan, say somebody is hospitalized with pneumonia or stroke or something else, but their sugar is high. What do you do about that? So that can be kind of complex, and there's no one-size-fits-all in diabetes care, both outpatient and on a routine basis and in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it depends on a lot of things. Um, It depends on if – Again, we're assuming this is – they're not there specifically for the sugar, but they're here for something else, pneumonia, stroke, as you said. What do we do? Well, first, it matters on the degree. Is that sugar 400 or is that sugar 120? Um, then in the hospital, again, we are worried about the acute illness. What is the thing they are in the hospital for? What's going to end their life if we don't deal with it right mm-hmm. then? So we focus on, on what matters. We major on the majors. We minor on the minors in the short term in the hospital. So we give you a lot of grace in a sense in the hospital. We're Mm -hmm. not going to freak out if you're there for pneumonia and your sugar happens to be 180. Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter for those few days that you're in the hospital. So we allow a higher sugar. We call that permissive hyperglycemia. Now, do I want my chronic outpatients for the next decade to have a sugar of 180 on average? No, Mm -hmm. that would lead to lots of complications. But I'm not so worried about that in the hospital right then. I just want to keep them in a safe place. What is that safe place? It depends on the situation. There are situations where you want to be a little bit tighter and stricter on control. For example, someone just had a coronary bypass and is in the intensive care unit. We've proven that if that person has tight glycemic control and their sugar is kept between about 80 to 110 in the hospital by whatever means necessary, that they have better outcomes, that they recover from their coronary disease better. Mm -hmm. But for most medical illnesses or non-critical care illnesses, there's been no evidence that tighter control in the hospital actually benefits people. And it can actually even be the opposite, which we can talk about in a minute about hypoglycemia, i.e. low sugars and how dangerous that might be. I'm more concerned about preventing low sugars in the hospital than high sugars because I know that low sugars 
disorders are strongly associated with complications and even death. That's not the case for modestly elevated sugars in the hospital while they're there for something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's what's the highest you've seen? What's some what's an off the chart, you know, <laughs> um, probably I think I've seen maybe in the mid 1500s, um, which is, yeah, absurdly high. Yeah. Uh, Dane, it, it's 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 no good if they get that high. It's really weird though. It's not a consistent disease. I've seen type one diabetics with, with a sugar of 250 who are about to die, mm-hmm. um, and due to the other metabolic complications that can come along with it, acid levels in the body being ex- elevated, uh, ketosis, um, extreme dehydration. Um, some of the other things that can come with, particularly with type one diabetics, they can be extremely sick, even with the sugars aren't that high. Mm-hmm. Type two diabetics, particularly really heavy diabetics, um, I'm talking literal weight. Um, they tend to, they can come in and they can be over a thousand or twelve hundred, and they'll be standing there talking to you sometimes, and yeah. and you're like, are you sick? It's mm-hmm. it can be really odd, and and it doesn't, it's not. Uh, uh, predictable. Who's going to be really sick? Who's going to be at high risk of death? That sort of thing. Yeah. One of the things, though, and in, in we see a lot, though, in that can drive those really high sugars, uh, even though that's not really the reason they're there, is stress of other illnesses. And when I say mm-hmm. stress, I'm talking about the literal cortisol elevation endocrine response a person has to stress on their body when their body is trying to fix something that is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, that is in that and we see that all the time. A person whose sugars are perfectly well controlled at home with either they're not diabetic at all or they're a diabetic but it's under pretty good control, they catch pneumonia, they come in and their sugars are through the roof. Mm-hmm. And that's just due to we call it demarginization. Basically, the cortisol level goes up, it causes the body's essentially it's like a fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Your body is revving up to do something, to run away from something, and it needs energy. It needs energy, and sugar is energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally, that's what your body is running on. So we we tend to demonize sugars as, as they're, they're the most evil thing. Sugar in, in the bloodstream is not evil. Sugar right. in the bloodstream is mandatory for life, um, but it does tend to get out of whack. Just right. like, just like why, you know, say you sprain your ankle and your ankle swells up. And so you're going to want to, you're going to want to take some anti-inflammatory medicines for that. Why is that? It's because of the body's overactive response to that injury. Your body's natural immune system sends all those white blood cells to the area. Mm-hmm. A lot of fluid goes to the area. It's trying to help and cure it, but it sometimes gets out of whack and it goes too far and we have to treat the response rather than the initial problem. And that's the same way with diabetes, with other illnesses. Yeah. Cause I can remember times where, you know, if I had a, you know, cut on my hand or, you know, different, you know, normal things that, you know, if you're working on a car, you're working on your house, you get a little bit of a cut, it would take a lot longer to heal, you know, than a normal person. And I, I remember that, you know, so is, is that, you know, directly, you know, related well, it's it's both a cause and an effect. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get that injury, if you get that wound, if you get that foot problem or a bone infection in the foot, it's going to cause that natural stress response, which is going to cause sugars to go up. Well, what happens when the sugars go up? It's toxic to the blood vessels. It's toxic to the circulation. So you get less good blood flow to the area and things 
get worse mm-hmm. uh, or you or you over long term your sugar gets is bad you end up getting nerve damage you end up getting a small blood vessel damage and you're at much higher risk of having a wound having mm-hmm. an injury that then can become out of control and I, it's one of the most common reasons i admit people to the hospital is because of infected foot wounds mm-hmm. when you see uh people rolling down the street with a below the knee amputation um there is a much higher chance that that was because of diabetes rather than they were in a bad accident or you know got injured in the military or something like that sure. um amputation in this country are are an epidemic and uh if you're in south carolina the state newspaper did a big article a few months ago about that about the essentially the epidemic of amputations mm-hmm. it, i don't think amputations of as the disease itself though the results of the disease but it's one of the big reasons why we want to improve health this improves mobility and improves quality of life people want to keep their limbs so we have to aggressively deal with those things both in the hospital and outside the hospital you know we in the hospital we we tend to not use a lot of pills which is one of the big differences Mm -hmm. between in hospital care of diabetes and out of hospital care of diabetes obviously most diabetics are on pills uh, which are great and we can talk about that later some are on insulin which is great in certain circumstances Um, in the hospital though we like to use insulin instead of pills why is that well, in the hospital, we, we, we as doctors and nurse practitioners, we like really to control things. We're, we're micromanagers. We want to mm-hmm. hand our hands on everything. And a pill is basically a give it once a day, walk away. You're not sure if it's the right dose. You're not sure what's going to happen. And remember, these hospitalized patients, they're in a very stressful situation. Sometimes they eat. Sometimes they don't eat. Sometimes they're going to surgery. Sometimes we're given medicines that are going to drive up sugars. Mm-hmm. So it's highly, it's a very highly variable situation. We see a lot of lability there. And so if we use shorter-acting medications, i.e. regular insulin or the uh, other what we call analogs of regular insulin that are even faster acting like Novolog and Humalog, mm-hmm. we can really do a much better job of controlling sugars in the hospital using insulin. It's very, I won't say it's easy to do, but it's simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do it as much as we need. We can be extremely tight. We can do it all the time if necessary, depending on how sick, or we can just do it once or twice a day and say, yeah, good enough. Yeah, and, and that's certainly is a place for good enough control. But we we really like to use insulin for the most part in the hospitals for most patients. Obviously, we try to eliminate that when we leave the hospital because insulin is such a difficult thing. We can talk about the pros and cons of that, but we try to get to a point where we can discharge on pill therapy only if possible. That is episode one of a four-part series with Dr. Casey McMillan on diabetes. We hope you enjoyed that episode and stay tuned for episode two coming next week. Thanks for listening. And if you could leave us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. Visit our podcast website at ltcuniversitypodcast.com. You can also subscribe to one of our other podcasts in our podcast network, the Disrupted Podcast with Scott Middleton, Experiencing Healthcare with Matt Staub, and the Thriving Practitioner Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. Have a great week.